We pretty much use just about every single product that uh, Iron Source offers. We're, we're completely integrated with the platform. Of course, the mediation products, all ad, ad products, and the company that can assist us in doing UA and monetization and all the uh, additional products that come along with it. It takes a lot of uh, headache away from us. It takes a lot of the hard, busy work off of our hands, having a kind of an all-in-one platform. You just heard Andrew Stone. He's the CEO at Random Logic Games, who use IronSource's platform to grow their games in the smartest way possible. If you want to grow like Random Logic, you can get the SDK on IronSource's website. That's ironsrc.com. We all know it. Mobile marketing is going through a paradigm shift. With the industry moving towards a more aggregate way of measuring marketing efforts, Marketers' ability to measure and understand the impact of their marketing investments is further curtailed. AppSlyer, though, is not sitting on the sidelines. The company has set a goal to help their customers and the entire mobile ecosystem to successfully navigate the new era of mobile marketing. And that's where AppSlyer's latest product, the Incrementality Solution, comes to play. It's a product that truly empowers marketers to gain a better understanding of the real value that their marketing efforts hold. AppSlyer's incrementality solution is built around remarketing. It simplifies the process of designing, executing, and analyzing incremental lift tests at scale, which previously was something that only the biggest players on the market were able to do. With with incrementality, marketers can focus on the end goal of their test without actually having to worry about the heavy lifting that comes with it. To learn more about incrementality and to read the success stories from publishers like Kabam, I suggest you head out to appsflyers.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Twig 123. We've got myself, Joe Kim, Eric Kress, Adam Telfer, and Mishka Katkoff at the gym. <laughs> What's up, working out? My you got to add a few more plates to that bar there. <laughs> but anyway, so like this he, background. <laughs> he was so upset about my fat comments last week. He had to over index with this fucking weight shit in the background. <laughs> All right, today we're going to be covering three articles as well as updates. First, Fortnite developer Epic buys Fall Guys Studio Mediatonic. Second, gaming giant Ubisoft partners with Ethereum based NFT platform Sorare. And finally, Dream Game secures 50 million Series A round. What's up, guys? What is happening? I like, I like JK's uh, video on the um, was it making games for women? Or oh, for female like audiences? Yeah. Female audience, yeah. That was a good one. Oh, good catch. Thanks. King of timing. Were you, were, you, were you really, did you record it knowing that there's a, uh, there's. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. This was planned like a month ago. You guys, you're the fucking like a live op operator. <laughs> like looking at the calendar, <laughs> to, to the recording. Good job, man. It was a, uh, it was a good one. And it's, and it's an important, like, honestly, it's an important topic to raise. Um, I'm, it's, um, this industry is a uh, is a little bit too manly often. So I I, I agree. It's it's me who's fucking recording from the gym. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'd actually love to. I'm have not. More I'm not touching this subject. Let's move okay. on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, updates. I'll do some quick ones. Uh, so Valve has canceled Artifact 2.0, which is the update that they did to uh, Artifact, their trading card game. Uh, so effectively, the entire game has been shut down now. Um, the previous two versions are now available fully for free. Um, marketplace access has all been turned off. Um, so the interesting thing about this game, if you remember, is that it was actually the one that released with real money market for cards, the marketplace. Uh, Valve's attempt at leveraging their own in-game marketplace system for relying, instead of over relying on card packs to monetize that trading card game. Um, it actually was designed by um, uh, X Magic the Gathering. Um, second update, uh, Riot, Bungie, Blizzard veterans have raised $37.5 million uh, for their game company called Theorycraft Games. Uh, it includes the ex-EVP of League of Legends and the um, executive producer of Halo Destiny. Uh, NetEase led the round, um, obviously very, very big. And um, the, the main quote that I'm going to bring up about, about this company, we want to make deep 10,000-hour games that are better when you play with your friends. Um, we want to make games that are worthy of being theory crafted by players. Um, so usually, you know, this is a little bit of, you know, just 
investor pitch kind of conversations, high level lofty goals, but overall I actually quite like this vision. I think it speaks to the core of what actually makes a live service work. And I think that 10,000 hour goal is actually speaks to what what it takes to build a, a real service. Of course, taken from Malcolm Gladwell's outlier idea, um, you know, a free to play service has to be built around hobbies, right? Hobbies that can be mastered first and foremost. So 10,000 hours makes sense to me. I'd like to make um, a comment quickly. Uh, God, these net guys, net netties guys are gangsters, dude. I really like, we, I have, I was on a Bitcraft what a panel with this guy and uh, what's his name? Simon zoo. And so these guys are basically not doing the 10 cent, like let's rule the world and acquire everything under the sun. They're basically just throwing investments at, at really good teams and, uh, you know, it's kind of remarkable at how many of these things he's done because they've done uh, second dinner was their first one. Um, and then they have a, a series of other investments. And then this one makes sense. And then Bungie, right? They just, you know, they freaking yep. funded the next product from Bungie. So I, I do like what these guys are doing. And, and, and Simon seems like a really smart guy who's like really into gaming, right? Unlike some of the other people that are in this industry doing M&A or just all these bankers or McKenzie guys or whatever. So anyway, I respect what these guys are at Nettie's trying to do. I hope they see some success, but I think they're, they are betting on some really, really solid teams. So. Yeah. Yeah. Which absolutely makes sense. When you're doing these kind of early stage investments, you really focus on the team. The, the last thing I just want to say of this, but they are fucking cutting blank checks, man. Like these, these are people without even a concept necessarily. They're throwing out $35 million. Like on the flip side, like that, that seems like a lot of money, but they, I think they have the money to spend and, 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 and they're trying to grow outside of the West. So if everybody thinks go. that the, the growth area is uh free to play PC console, right? Yeah. Like 37 and a half is not enough, right? Like you're talking about no, like one, right. not even one game here, right? Like this is getting you to close beta. Yeah. I think they have a ton of cash, dude. They'll just keep throwing it in there as long as there's exactly. progress, perhaps. But uh, yeah. but great team. Okay. Yeah. Pretty amazing. Uh, third update. So let's get into Tencent. So Tencent has actually started launching standalone cloud versions of PUBG Mobile or Peacekeeper Elite in China and Honor of Kings. So now the downloads are actually only 15 megabytes when the you know normal versions are well over two gigabytes. Um, so Nico Partners was uh, reporting this, and they're also reporting that the cloud version is actually performing much better than the local version, uh, specifically for low-end smartphones. So that's where they see the value in this. Um, the downside, of course, is that the cloud versions require a very fast and strong network connection at all times. So they're hoping that, say, 5G actually becomes a little bit more prevalent in China uh, so that these additions can actually work well. Um, so... Next one, let's talk about Tencent and Timmy. Uh, they actually just started hiring for a new open world cross-platform title. So this is fresh off Genshin Impact's news that they've made close to 900 million gross revenue in roughly about five months since launch, which is amazing. Um, and of course, Timmy, who's the developer behind Call of Duty Mobile and Honor of Kings, um, is actually pretty poised to take on this market as well. Uh, I, personally, I think like Tencent is the one publisher that probably looked at the cost of building Genshin Impact, right? 100 million in dev, 200 million a year for live costs and said, you know, only that much, you know, we could probably make that. Oh, come. <laughs> so I thought they said this. I'm like, oh my God, that is like sheer arrogance, right? But no, it's you said that. No, no, no there's I, no way. They must, they are like look, looking at this and saying, wow, that's that's a lot of money, dude. Come on, even Tencent, dude. No, I don't know. I, I, I think Tencent looks at this space and says, you know, let's build, let's build for this. It's a defensible space, right? Not a lot of other developers can build at that scale and have the expertise that they have within their studios of building AAA live services, right? Um, so I think they actually have a very strong chance to take on the space. Um, yeah, and I think no intense and they'll probably even start up a few Genshin model games, you know, like Lightspeed and Quantum and Timmy will start something up like this. Uh, and then they'll actually just ask them to fend for themselves to see who can win. Um, rumors coming up this week. So same stuff as we've heard before. Nintendo is planning a Switch model with a bigger Samsung, Samsung OLED display. So seven inches, 720p screen, and that docked, it will support 4K. So keep in mind, this is just rumors, but obviously it's been, you know, there's been enough rumors over the last few years of this happening, um, but this still remains speculation. I, I have to comment on this one too, because I, I the coverage on this has been so bizarre because 
it's like a 720p screen is exactly the same screen they have right now. It's only like yeah. what an inch bigger or like a half inch bigger. So that is not in any way an issue that has, that's not even really an upgrade per se, right? Maybe it's yeah. a cheap, it's cheaper bill of materials, right? So that they can maybe invest in other things within the do, the, the device um, docked with 4k support. That's the much bigger deal, right? Because the amount of power it required and the storage capacity required to run 4k is pretty dramatically different. And so yep. therefore they either have to make this a digital only device. Actually, that's the only way that this yeah. works because you can't fit a 4k game. Most games that, that come in 4k on these cartridges or they would cost an exact amount of money. They already cost like $10 per cartridge, let's say, but if you did a 4k version of like doom or something like, you know, call of duty, Dude, you would need like, it would be like 20 or $30 bill of materials. So you have like, anyway, the point of the story here is like this, the 4K thing is a much bigger deal. The, the, the new screen is irrelevant, right? It's the same exact screen. So um, I don't think any of these rumors, probably these rumors I don't think are untrue. I'm just saying like, it. I don't know, the 4K is a bigger deal. That's all I wanted to say on that. Yeah, it, this is all speculation, right? But um, number one, I don't think the 720p screen is all that big of a deal. Um, like, I don't think a 4K screen would make any sense at all. No, like a mobile, at that right? size. Like, imagine the size of that device, right? I can't, I can't so even justify if, a 4K screen for a 15-inch uh, laptop, dude. I mean, it doesn't even make and sense. And like, even a 1080p screen increase, right? Like, you, then yeah. you'd have to s still pretty much increase the size of the device in order to make use of it. So 720p still makes sense to me. Right. Um, and then maybe when you get docked, like, when I mean, like this is still me just coming up with ideas, right? Maybe the dock is just this massive little unit, like much larger than the previous unit, which then can all, like has a dedicated GPU within it so it can actually run it. And then Nintendo's thinking everyone's just gonna be running upscaled 4K, right? Like not 4K textures, but actually just doing like what they did with Nintendo, which is, or sorry, what they did with Breath of the Wild, which is just upscaling the best they can right. with, within the engine. Right. Has yeah, so. okay, so my prediction is this. This is what's gonna happen. This is going to be 720p screen. They're going to be able to do 4K for fucking Netflix, right? But no gaming, right? And yeah. it's going to be a 1080p up-res nonsense, right? And so it's going to be disappointing because people are expecting it to be 4K. There's no way, no, there's none, very none little ports, chance that this device is going to run 4K. 4K native, right? No way. Yeah, none of the ports will be able to support 4K. You'll be able to get stupid Skyrim in 4K because that's like... What twelve years, years old? old. Yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, anyways, uh, next news: Zynga. Zynga has acquired Extra Games, uh, which is the led by developers of Diablo and Torchlight. Um, so these are next door neighbors to the Zynga uh, office. And uh, note that the studio is actually built from the ashes of Torchlight. So it was previously called Runic. Uh, that was the previous studio that actually built Torchlight 1 and Torchlight 2. Um, so this studio's actual first game was Torchlight 3. Um, and uh, just to be critical of the studio, from the Steam charts, it really doesn't look like Torchlight 3 moved a lot for the franchise. Um, actually struggled quite a bit. And it looks like, as a result, this, this acquisition, you know, the price is undisclosed and looks much more like an acquihire than... Oh, um, shoot. I got the story the wrong on uh, Joseph on our other podcast, right? Because Torchlight 1 was a huge success. Torchlight 2 was less of a success. And Torchlight 3 was a disaster, right? But I, I forgot yeah. about the interim step. And they must be working on something else. But we talked about this in the podcast. I do think this is a good entry point for Zynga, right? Without spending insane amounts of money on a studio that's going to be just an R&D burn, you know, and, and more risk. So now they have an acquire. They have a team that actually can build a capable, um, potentially capable RPG cross-platform. I think this makes total sense because this is not a big investment. So, Yeah, yeah. Um, it looks like it's a support studio for natural motion, right? Because they, they said in the subtext that you've got, they acquired them to work with Natural Motion on a RPG cross-platform. Oh, give me a break. Really? Yeah. Oh, for the, for the uh, Star Wars game? No, I don't think, that, unless they have two Star Wars games, right? The Star Wars games, the, I forget what it's called, whatever. The, that one looks like a PvP thing. Hmm. Unless I'm fully mistaken, the way that that trailer came off, that looked like a PvP arena thing. And then this game sounds like an RPG. I don't know, man. You're doing all the work around here. I'm just shooting from the hip. So keep going. What, what podcast are you on besides this? Okay. Anyways, all I can say for that one is anyone working on that title from Natural Motion and Ektra, please listen to this podcast about how 
all the challenges of building a PVE-focused games of service for AAA audiences. That is not simple. And let's not build Genshin Impact for $100 million, please. Um, and last one, specifically for Joe, big news, Division movie. Getting made just for Netflix, just for nice. Joe. You predicted it. And it's awesome. got your celebrity crush, Jake Gyllenhaal, starring in it. So... There you can go. I throw? Can I throw some salt in this game? If anybody from Ubisoft is listening to me, if you have spent thirty minutes thinking about a division movie, stop it. Stop focusing on this bullshit. Okay, this is not what you should be doing. <laughs> there is no flywheel effect for fucking the division, right? It's all about the core gamer who loves looter shooters, but you are wasting time, wasting resources, and spending money on stuff that's nonsense, right? So if if it's all licensed and you're letting some out third party do it, all right, more power to you. That's the way it should be done. But if there's any employee at Ubisoft that is spending more than 10 hours working, looking at this thing, then this is a waste of time and effort, okay? Full stop. And I just imagine that these guys at Ubisoft, they're all sitting around in a room trying to figure out how to make the best movie with freaking Jake Jill and fucking Hall, right? Get out of there. Stop it. You're spending too much money on nonsense. Stop it, okay? Division is core game, period, right? You're not going to get more players into Division by putting a movie on Netflix, you know? Not happening. All right, moving on. All right, that's it. That's all I got. All right. Well, I don't know. I, I think the story and the setting is dope, so we'll, we'll see what happens. But the most I'm, not setting with it. The most, I'm, I'm excited for this movie. It's the most standard thing. Oh, my God, there's a disease in New York City. No, no Dude, I'm <laughs> there's so nothing cool. better. <laughs> Still cool. Apocalyptic movies. I love that. Dude, those are those are the best. Like but I'm I'm not that's not my point. I'm I'm excited for this movie. I'm totally excited for this movie. I'm I'm saying <clears throat> Ubisoft spends too much time doing stupid shit, right? And their stock is getting destroyed because they can't manage the goddamn company, you know? And it's it's awful, right? And they're just like digging themselves into a grave right now, or the chance of getting acquired, you know, Vivendi going after them or someone else. But it's 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 just mismanaged, you know, what they do over there. But go ahead. All right. All right. Few updates from me. First update is congrats to Craft On. Pocket Gamers reporting that PUBG New State has hit five million pre-registrations in just one week. This is Google Play only, and players who pre-register get an exclusive vehicle scan. PUBG New State, however, will be coming to iOS, but the, the launch date is still unannounced. Second update, Netmarble's highly anticipated open world mobile RPG, Blade and Soul Revolution, now available worldwide. I think it launched last Friday, so March 5th. So this is based on the popular PC game. Interestingly, the company also announced that they made a number of changes to hunting mechanics, player balance, and pace of player growth to adapt to Western players. And I was actually playing the game yesterday. There's a lot of production value there. I personally haven't played an MMO in a really long time, but to me, it was just interesting how everything in that game is auto. It's like, you know, it's almost like not like playing a game. It's just like, go, go, go. And everything's kind of done for you. I don't know. Eric, you should try it and let, let me know whether that's like the way that MMOs are played now. <laughs> Have you not been listening to me for the last year? I've been talking about this forever. This game is going to fail, right? Fundamentally, it's a triple A super high production value game and the West doesn't like this stuff, you know, like lineage two was a perfect execution of this and <clears throat> it failed. Right. And so no, no matter how many times you're going to throw this thing at the market, I don't think it's going to be successful. Right. I think it's just, it's a tough sell. I mean, and then Genshin, you know, Genshin's like this unique unicorn of a thing that, that really did well, but these games, there's like been like a dozen of these games that come up to the West that just don't do anything. And, and the numbers so far are pretty terrible. Right. Um, you know, the yeah. downloads and the revenue, but I mean, it'll find a small audience and they'll do a few million, you know, every month or something for a while, but then it's going to die, you know, but it is a beautiful game. And it's a really, it does well. It did reasonably well in, in Asia. Um, but anyway, whatever. Yeah. I don't have much faith in this. All right, last I love up, these games though, too, by the way. Okay. I love these games. <laughs> last update for me is, is Eric, Chris Petrovic and I actually recorded a discussion on game industry M&A. We're going to be publishing that uh, this Wednesday, and we're going to have kind of like an after session talk on Clubhouse this Friday at 12 p.m. PST. So I'll put a link in the show notes, but make sure you join us on Clubhouse to talk game industry MA. And we'll be able to be a lot freer in discussion on Clubhouse since it's not recorded. <laughs> so you guys want to make sure to join us. I don't know. Your <laughs> what was that? Freer than this? 
Oh. I mean, Eric is just <laughs> yeah. dropping bombs. No, no, Petrovic. No, no, Petrovic kind of calms me down. Like the guy yeah. is so nice, right? And he's so like <laughs> measured in his approach to everything. And he said, and I say this in the podcast, but I'll say this there. He says exactly what I say, but in such a nicer way. It's just like it's remarkable to see the difference. Like my yin and yang thing going on. So I think him and I have a good. I think we have a good uh, rapport when it comes down to this. And then J- Joe is just kind of just you know, in the background. (laughs) But I I do think that there are some insights that you'll be able to gain from, from this, uh, from this discussion that haven't been talked about before. So again, make sure you join us on clubhouse this Friday. The, 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 the episode you guys did with Petrovic before I said that, like Eric and Petrovic had a really good, really good, like a dynamic. So really happy to see you guys starting this series. Um, all right, up, up to my updates. So Tiny Build, this was the company that I talked in the last update. Uh, it was IPOing in the secondary market in London. So they finally IPO'd. They opened up at 33% over the IPO pricing and currently trading at 630 million market cap. Now, this is a business with 20 million EBITDA last year. So uh, the market is definitely very uh, accepting of game companies. <laughs> Wait, do you even? Uh, are you, that, that was like a meant to be a trigger, right? But like this, this company has no business of being public. Blah 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 blah. blah. I say it every time, right? They're too small. They may be an amazing company, but this is going to end badly for everybody involved. So, sell your stock whenever you can. That's my advice to you. Yeah. Well, the start is the start is good. Let's put it that way. Uh, anyway, so then there then there was work from anywhere, and and this is actually a little bit of a longer update. So this is from the previous episode that we did, and I. And I uh, talked about the uh, the Spotify's new you can work from anywhere policy. So there was lots of feedback. I got emails and I got people calling me about this. <laughs> now, um, the the misconception was that there was two extreme views: the one that me and Eric had, and the one that Adam had. And I think that is a misconception because we but we all of us agreed that if you're part of a core team working on a game. You should be on site. That's more. That's the most effective way. We also agreed that work from home makes sense when you have an individual type of work that you can need to kind of hunker down and go through it, and you have the equipment at home that allows to complete this work without traveling to to your workplace. So, at certain days, the sort of a hybrid model where you're staying at home and working, um, focusing makes sense. And we also agreed that. If you're in a specialist position and you're working with multiple different teams, usually in multiple different locations, of course, it makes sense that you work fully remotely because you're, you're with, with none of the teams anyways. But nevertheless, it's really important that you have human contact and you actually travel to these different locations and discuss with these different teams. So I'm going to quote one of the people who, who sent me this feedback. He is a Scopely, a Scopely PM. And this is a quote, he said, in long term, plus 10 years, the future of game development is going to be remote work, as with most industries that don't have a large on-site requirement component. My prediction is that most companies will go back to a hybrid model of work with a required on-site component in the near future, but that longer term, the on-site requirement will be nullified. Now, I kind of think this is a a little bit of a wishful thinking. I do agree with the hybrid model being the first thing where, where there will be more work from home dates and they, and then they will be working at the office. But I don't believe that that on-site working will be nullified in any kind of a future. This is, of course, my personal opinion. And I've actually never heard anybody saying that the current work from home situation is better than it was before in, in developing games. And and it's not have it's you not talked to anybody approach. from LA? I've I've talked to people from LA as well. And I've I've never because yeah, most of the people that I know from at least yeah. the Los Angeles area, right? Like working from home was a massive improvement. Right. Okay. Like you think about the amount of time that they had to spend commuting, um, especially people that you know got are just farther away from their office given the cost of rent, right? Mm-hmm. Like I think even just city by city, there's going to be very, very different opinions here, right? Like I'm assuming in Helsinki where you guys have not had the same type of impact that we've had like in the States or in Canada, right? Um, where you've actually been able to have on-site in the last you know, mm-hmm. year and a half or, or year the, the pandemic's been going on, right? Um, it makes sense to you. But in the case of people specifically in Los Angeles, 
right? Like there's definitely a huge benefit of not having an hour plus commute each way going into work. Okay. So I, I've actually not had any feedback from Finnish companies. Um, so all of my feedback came from around the world. And um, I do I do understand the other the other component of, of commuting. I mean, I worked in San Francisco before and I've I know what LA looks like and I've been there. The commuting is absolutely horrible. But nevertheless, I've like people kind of have this this sort of a misconception that that the company wants everybody on place, but if it would be more effective to have divert like teams dispersed around in different places without actually paying the rent for that big office and having that huge campus, of course they would do that. And I don't know. I I would I would be I would be more than glad to discuss with somebody who would t- who would come in and explain how the current always working from home model is better than what they had before. Whether they're in LA or whether they're in I don't know Paris or Barcelona, I I've just I haven't seen this. And um, I also received a call from a, from a C-suit executive of a, of one of these multi-billion dollar gaming companies and this is his view that he was he was describing <laughs> to me I, I like this view this is really interesting uh he said uh, yeah well well I'm, <laughs> i'm definitely not mentioning this person uh but anyway we're talking about a big company with with top grossing titles uh he said he was he said that the teams that fought the hardest for permanent work from home were the poorest performing one. He said that the teams that, that were working on current top grossing titles actually sneaked in to the office to work together. <laughs> and um, and he, he also talked about this, this sort of a dream of people thinking that they could move anywhere to these more uh, cheaper location. He said, well, if you move to those different countries, that's tax evasion. Like we cannot be paying you and you become a contractor at that point. And and um, just to kind of what? close this, yeah. Tax so, evasion. Oh, I pay well, taxes in Canada. Tax evasion for the company. <laughs> like I'm, not, I'm not evading my taxes. I pay taxes. Well, no, no, no. I think if he's if if you're going company. to if you're going to like Bora Bora or yeah, uh, sure, yeah. So you become like a digital expat. Yeah. And, and essentially, like whatever. in order yeah. in order to make this work, like U.S. is a different thing. Like you can move to a different yeah. state, Florida, whatever. And you don't pay taxes, but if you're in Europe or any other countries, like you move a little bit to the left to the right, you're in a different country, and you need to have even if you're inside of EU, you need to have a legal entity to, in that country in order to pay salary. So I yeah. can't move from here to Sweden and expect to be paid salary. No, I I, I need to set up yeah. my own company or my company set up. So anyway, no, dude, I, I was a digital nomad right before. Yeah. So when I was yeah. in Berlin and when I had. We, I had a and, uh, and you were a contractor. And it's not really yeah, tax it's evasion; it's strategic no. tax planning, right? Okay, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, so I want to just close this debate. Yeah, and let's close it. <laughs> yeah. If, if this is a better, if this, if this current model of everybody working in different location or from home is better, I'd really want that person to come in on the podcast, explain what they have done and what kind of process they use, because this is fascinating. I'm not against, like if somebody can come up and and explain, this is the way we do it and we are much better this way. Of course, I want to learn about it because it's cheaper. Yes, please come on to this podcast and tell me. But my prediction is that things will return back to normal next year, but we'll be more open to remote days and to use of contractor that support the core teams. But I do believe that the core teams will stay together in a single location. Yeah, this is one of those topics that's like religious. Where yeah, people are very sensitive about it. I, 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 so people are going to think what they want to think. I, I, I think we should just. So, so that's why that's why I invite the person who can tell me that. S- says the guy that wants to talk about NFTs next. Yeah. yeah oh yeah. my god. Uh, and and final one. <laughs> so so I, I always one piece of news always coming from Finland. So I found something interesting. Rovio. Okay, wait a minute. Wait a minute. We, we are uh, not doing a Finland freaking news story every goddamn right, podcast, is, dude. It's not is, that interesting. <laughs> it's not a huge country, okay? Really, I'm it's just telling you. It's pound not for pound, country. pound for pound, <laughs> really powerful. Anyway, Rovio looking for a chief operating officer. And the job description is this person drives the execution of Rovio's vision, strategy, and day-to-day operations, essentially what was known before as the head of games position. But now that Rovio is concentrated fully on games, it makes sense. And as the previous head of games has become the CEO, he's essentially looking for a person to take over his role. So I think there's two options here. Uh, They hire somebody externally. I believe that likely this person would come in from Gameloft just based on 
the current CEO's long history at Gameloft. I think it's a decade and a half oh, I see. at Gameloft. And that will definitely shake things up. There will be initial friction, as always, if you bring a leader from outside organization to into a position as a chief operating officer. So basically, a person to execute. Uh, or it could be an internal. And then the company will go into a more of the optimization path. They will probably focus even more on the categories where they're succeeding. So that would be puzzle. And I think internally, they have plenty of options for, for good people to take this position. They, they, have a, they have a quite senior team. But I wish all the best whoever whoever takes and gets the job. Everybody, we're going to take a quick commercial break to hear from our sponsor, Beta Hat, and then we will be right back. So stay tuned. I want to talk about consumer insights. Honestly, I've always had issue with consumer insights. I questioned the value and felt that CI was always somewhat disconnected from the real world. The big issue with CI firms is they don't hire people that know anything about video games and therefore don't have a fundamental understanding of what matters in this business. That's why I like Beta Hat. Beta Hat knows the business of video games and understands how to connect consumer insights to the real world. And Beta Hat helps you understand your customers, understand not only what they do, but why. They specialize in customer segmentations, brand tracking, messaging and positioning, pricing and SKU planning, and playtesting through qualitative and quantitative research. There are about 10 people in this industry that I rely upon to understand trends, and one of them is Stan Kwan, the CEO of Beta Hat. Beta Hat is the best CI team in the industry. Go to betahatmr.com for more information. That's betahatmr.com. Welcome back and let's start the news. First story of the day. Okay, so uh, Mediatonic, a UK outfit, um, has been acquired by Epic for an undisclosed sum. Um, so for me, on a, like this is great for Mediatonic um, because I think Mediatonic, Mediatonic as a company um, actually has like a really great history of grit in the industry, right? Um, right, like you, you sometimes hear a lot about these stories of companies like King or say Robio, where it's the amount of years it took them, you know, working through years and years of um, web games and mobile games on Java phones and all this kind of stuff until they finally got to their hit game. In the case of King, that's obviously Candy Crush, Rovio, Angry Birds. And in the case of Mediatonic, it's Fall Guys. Um, like you look through their Wikipedia page, it's pretty crazy, right? Like they were, they were founded in 2005 and they were pretty much a work for hire outfit to build web games for everything. They work with pretty much every major, major publisher um, to get paid, right? Like Shockwave, Game House, PopCap, they built Bookworm for, for web, Bejeweled for web. Um, in 2009, they started playing a little bit on mobile. They work with like Toy Story, Back to the Future, Fantastic Beasts, Fast and the Furious, right? All of this stuff, work from home, grit, uh, with basically sprinklings of new IP, uh, their own games throughout as they can make money from work for hire and actually fund it, right? Um, and in 2017, uh, they even work with Scopely on Yahtzee with Buddies. Um, come 2020, they launched Fall Guys and obviously blew up and was not their, their, their go ahead. Eric's already pointing at the screen. Do you know what's, really, you know what's really interesting is they got funded. See, I don't know this company from Adam, but they got funded in 2019 with like $30 million, right? And then and then Fall Guys comes out in 2020. I mean, did you, did you find out about what the story was in terms of why they transitioned? Because they basically said they were 50-50, like outsourcing and, and internal development, but they haven't had a hit right? Yeah. And then all of a sudden they get this crazy amount of funding in 19 and maybe during the fervor of all these investments in these type of companies. So it seems so maybe in 2019, they were showing off fall guys and some people. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I'd love I to know. know that because I think that's actually a much more interesting story, frankly, than this game that came out that was, didn't do anything for like a year. And then all of a sudden it became a cult classic, right? No, 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 you know? You're thinking among us, not fall guys. Oh, sorry. That's why yep. I'm getting confused. All right, my bad, my bad. All yeah, right, so Fall 19... Guys, Fall Guys okay, did okay. take off immediately, right? Because okay, it was sorry. part of that PS right, Plus right. thing. Yeah. Sorry, I was getting confused. But the, the okay, so that's interesting. So they get, get all this million, thirty-three million. They invested it, then they made an amazing game that blew up, and 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 yeah. All right, now that makes more so, sense. So obviously, whoever like I wasn't actually aware of the 2019 investment, but whoever they were, you know, hopefully they took a look at Fall Guys, and hopefully, you know, their predictions are quite on the nose. So that's good. 
Um, but yeah, if you haven't played Fall Guys, right? Obviously captured a lot of the zeitgeist of the moment. Um, launched during COVID when the world needed a break from just another dark, depressing survival battle royale game. Um, and, you know, it was actually really built with streamer content in mind, right? Like the, I just remember that first really month of absolutely batshit crazy moments that constantly were being streamed online within Fall Guys. And of course, like Among Us did take a little bit of that, that, that wind, you know, pulled over a lot of those streamers, um, as well as um, Phasmophobia, right? Um, because obviously like that type of explosive start based on novelty just can't sustain. Um, so looking at the numbers, they started at 150,000 CCU on Steam, which is incredible. Um, but right now they're sustaining at roughly closer to 10K, uh, which is still within the top 100 on Steam, um, but it's unknown how much this is on say console uh, right now. Um, and really when you look at Twitch, 240K down to about three to 4K viewers daily. So really like they obviously caught this amazing explosion and similar to Apex are now trying to figure out how do they stabilize a core group of fans and drive a live service around that, right? So from a live service perspective, right? This, this team really needs to fuel up their live content uh, and really enter Epic who did a great job with Rocket League right? Shifting that game towards free to play um, can obviously, you know, pass on their learnings, light fuel to the fire for all of those live content demands and really increase the reach of their games. So it all really seems like a really good fit. Um, and now you have Rocket League, Fall Guys, Fortnite, you know, pick up Among Us or some of these other guys, like it seems like a nice demographic fit um, shifting around players and very streamer first games. So that's great. Um, so obviously a great partner and a great fit for Tonic, kind of win, win, win all around. Um, and, you know, without the cost, it's really hard to say the value for Epic, um, but it all really fits well into the strategy and to their audience. So um, I think this is all pretty good. And I really Wish them all the best, and I'm just going to be watching out and looking at their live ops because I'd love to see some of these crazy events and cosmetics that they come up with. Eric, I mean, the only comment I have is like, look, the VCs came in, they put in, I think, 36 million. I think it was the, the round. Now they've cashed cashed out. These guys, are, you know, were a, I think a, not a struggling developer, but when you're doing like work for hire, it's it's really like eat or be eaten. No, that's not the right expression. It's like feast or famine type thing where it could really struggle. It can be a struggle, right? Um, so they come out with their own hit. Uh, they got the money to actually, you know, finish it and build it. They came out with a hit. They sell themselves. Freaking, this is the, is the win, 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 man, for everybody, dude. And uh, if only like Machine Zone and like Rovio got the memo, right? Then maybe they'd be in a different position, you know? But I think hopefully what helps is that they get all the money from Epic to build out their next game. And so like... This, this is a great, great outcome for them, you know, and, 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 they're, and they're selling at the top, like regardless of what they got, I don't know what they got, but I think this is kind of the, probably one of the peaks in the market for a while. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm happy for them and I'm glad they'll be part of Epic. But I think Epic funds Fall Guys. I don't think they, like, sure, they, they, they'll obviously bought the studio and they'll, they'll fund internal development, but I think like they need to be putting fuel on this fire, not you know, shifting them off to a new game. Oh, I'm, I'm just assuming that they're focusing on building out more content for the, for the, their platform. Right. So if, so uh, this is kind of like the Microsoft situation with Epic, right? If, if they really want to build a platform, right, which is their goal, I think ultimately to build some kind of metaverse type platform, then they need internal development to actually support that platform. Right. And so Microsoft acquired like a, gazillion studios over the last like three or four years to help support their software as a service, uh, you know, Microsoft Xbox live shit. So I think Epic is kind of doing the same thing. So yes, Fall Guys will be part of the, you know, the, I mean, that's a big cross-platform game, but I think ultimately they're going to be making console games and and PC games for Microsoft, right? Not for Sony, right? Or whatever else. Yeah. So you're talking about this stuff within Microsoft because Fall Guys is not on mobile. So when you say cross-platform, you mean console, PC console? PC, no, for, I'm sorry, yeah, PC console for for uh, for Epic. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, so I just think you'll see Epic getting more and more aggressive on finding teams that can help that support their longer-term vision of what Epic is going to become. And I think this is just part of that, right? Yep. Yep. Gobble, gobble, gobble. 
right? All right. Moving on to the next article. Speaking of religious topics, gaming giant <laughs> Ubisoft partners with Ethereum-based NFT platform Sorare. I don't know how you pronounce that. Anyway, according to the publication Crypto Briefing, Ubisoft has announced a partnership with an Ethereum-based NFT platform called Sorare to build basically an Ethereum-based free-to-play soccer game, or as they say in Europe, football, but we know it's soccer. Anyway, the, the game is called One Shot League, and apparently winning in the game awards digital sports cards, which can then be traded on the blockchain. And so each week, players select a five-person team in a fantasy-style tournament, and the highest point winners are awarded limited edition trading cards. So it was noted that most of the cards actually trade between 0.1 to 1 Ethereum, so actually quite a lot of money. But one card was actually traded last January for 116 Ethereum, which is roughly $193,000. So finally, last week, based on the success of the game, Sorare also raised $50 million in venture capital financing. So congratulations to those guys. And my take on this is that. Oh, sorry. Um, wait, 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 wait. Before, the... before, yeah, yeah. Before you go from the one hundred ninety-three thousand. Okay, when the thing was traded, how much was that one point one Ethereum worth? Oh, so you're you're basically talking about the money to the to to the game. Yeah, no, no. This is this is the aftermarket stuff, right? So that would go to the player. No, no, no. But I'm saying it. The card that was traded for one hundred ninety-three thousand uh, dollars. Yeah. When it was traded, it was Ethereum wasn't worth that much money. That that the value of Ethereum has gone up, and that's why it's worth one hundred ninety three thousand now. Since January, I mean, it's gone up, but not that much, right? All right, all right, all right. All right moving on. Uh, but Go ahead, but and when when just to confirm too, like when you're talking one hundred ninety three thousand for a card, or that's that's player to player. Like, does the developer yeah, get yeah, a, That's right. Does the developer get any cut there? I think contracts could be structured in that way. I don't believe they are in in this particular case. I, I think that's the money to the player, not to the studio. Yeah. So within like the, the 50 million in venture, what are they buying in terms of profitable business value? Well, because the, the fact that people would be interested in playing this kind of game and being able to collect these kinds of cards, right? Yeah. So even with like top, you know, like NBA a Top Shot, which is going crazy, right? That I mean, they've sold over three hundred million worth of goods, but the aftermarket is also pretty crazy. Where you know some of those those video moments are selling for tons of money in the after, you know, on the blockchain afterwards. But anyway, so my take on this is that NFTs are a big deal. They are here to stay. But I do have a little bit of a different view than both the religious folks on both sides, which is that I'm personally very bullish on NFTs and digital art in the long term. But I also think that there's just a lot of experimentation right now so that many, if not most, in my opinion, of the NFT, NFTs out there are probably going to go to zero. But longer term, I'm actually very bullish. And for people who want to know more about other successful implementations of NFT, people really need to check out, as I mentioned, NBA Top Shot, which is, again, sold close to or over 300 million of these kind of NBA video moments as NFT. Although I actually think that some of this stuff is kind of I personally have to say it kind of ridiculous, like Jack Dorsey just auctioned his first tweet on Twitter and like the highest bid right now is like two and a half million dollars to own a tweet. <laughs> like, anyway, on these NFTs, right? Like you're talking about NBA Top Shot having NBA video moments, Dorsey's first tweet, like digitally, you could get that asset. I could just go find that asset. What's it's the value? It's not authenticated the by the block. It's not authenticated by the blockchain, though. So okay, that's so not, the that's, only difference is like, it's like, okay, the, the one tweet well, you, I can you, just go look at it on my monitor, but then the other one, I get to look at it in my monitor with a authenticated by blockchain icon next to it. Well, I mean, I assume you own the rights to like, if you wanted to display it or if you wanted to broadcast it or things like that, I, <laughs> yeah, I assume, that would, but that would be interesting to know, frankly, is like yeah. what rights come, come around that or yeah, and even I'm sure they've contemplated, but whether or not it's actually yeah. the the other interesting terms. thing is like a lot of people are fractionalizing this stuff, right? So like let's say there's a 
you know, like a trading card that you fractionalize. And what, what is, and that's even more complicated, right? What does it mean to right. own one fiftieth of, you know, of a moment or something like that? But anyway, uh, but for me personally, I mean, I've been a blockchain hater for years. And I think people, if you go back to earlier podcasts, I, I've been kind of, you know, crapping on blockchain, but I, I, I did see the potential for some of the stuff. And last year in, in full disclosure, you know, my studio did a partner with Galaxy Interactive because we were kind of interested in what's happening in that space. And for me personally, this is the year that I actually am starting to see a lot of the potential. There's been a lot of momentum. I would say even the last few weeks, there seems to have been a lot more momentum behind blockchain, NFTs, and the potential within gaming. And personally, as part of my journey to learn more about this and to understand this better, uh, I did record a podcast with Richard Kim, who is a partner at Galaxy. Going to publish that next week, so definitely suggest that you guys check that out. But it's who's, it's definitely who's Richard Kim and why is he important to? Well, I mean they they're basically investing in a lot of blockchain based gaming companies, oh, so they, they have JK. a specific focus and and also investing into JK. Yeah. Oh, I see. <laughs> Jam. <laughs> This is like the self promotion center, man. I gotta, no, start, like, that, this is... I gotta just start dropping bombs about <laughs> something. I don't know what am I promoting at this point, right? Anyway, um, actually, sorry, people may be surprised, but I'm actually think that this makes total sense, right? This makes total sense for blockchain, right? In particular, right? I don't really consider blockchain a currency. I don't consider blockchain a store of value, maybe, but like, but in terms of like managing this kind of uh, ecosystem, it makes total sense, right? Um, because the problem with blockchain that I've had in the past is it really doesn't work or make sense for traditional games, you know? And I, I did a panel with a buddy of mine from Forte, who is uh, uh, the founder of uh, Kabam's company that does blockchain stuff, and they're building exactly kind of this, is that fundamentally it's a chicken and egg thing here, right? It's like blockchain is a real good mechanism of ensuring that you know exactly what you own and you can identify it. And I'm not going to use all the terminology because all that makes it really confusing, right? But if if but um, but you can't really force a blockchain system into the existing gaming, right? Because gaming already has its traditional tropes and and how things work within like, you know, World of Warcraft or other like RPGs where you own digital assets, but in a completely different way than the blockchain can help. Can help figure out, right? So what you need to do is you need to figure out, build stuff that actually takes advantage of what the core blockchain thing is 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 enabling, which is uh, unique identifiers for assets, right? Digital assets, right? And so I think blockchain in this in this context is huge because you could basically track individual ownerships of items, right? And so it's like if you could have like the rookie card, the only rookie card in the world for, you know, I don't know. Curry, right? That is like super valuable in 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 the in the ecosystem of sports memorabilia, right? For the card, the actual physical card, but on a digital asset, you could be it could be the same thing. So it's all kind of like, and that makes sense. So in the collection world, the collection mechanic or the 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 idea of collecting, it's 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 a huge thing. And people are again are already doing this in the physical world, right? They have basic baseball car, card rating systems. You know, they have fine art authentication. They have all these services that are dedicated to making ensure that you have an actual asset that is 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 real and, and rare, right? To some degree. Um, so, and I guess the other point, the more macro point about why this could be successful is that people are lunatics. You know, they spend millions and millions of dollars to correct, collect unique art, right? And maybe it's not digital per se, but it's still like some some type of insanity. Like the amount of people will buy whatever they feel like they want to buy because they because and I don't want to get too political on this, but there's so much money sloshing around here, like trading cards and fine art and comic book art. These are becoming absolutely massive industries, like in the last like 10 years, right? Or 12, 15 years since the you know the 08 crash, right? And so it's not so shocking that people will move to digital because it's actually easier to own those assets than it is to own these like these uh, these hard assets, right? Um, so anyway, and I, the other point I would make is that we are already doing this as gamers, just in general, right? It's not the same mechanism, right? But I have spent way too many hours, hundreds and hundreds of maybe tens of thousands of hours on World of Warcraft building my character, which is basically a digital asset, getting gear, which are digital assets. And, and I've spent 
thousands and thousands of dollars for that privilege, right? But it, it is the same idea. But in this way, we're actually creating a uniqueness and well as as well as scarcity, right? Um, and and the same thing goes for anybody that does Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes, right? Collecting those characters, right? Or you know, Marvel Contest of Champions, or these lunatics that are spending tens of thousands of dollars on social casino for a fake currency, right? I mean, it's insane, right? So I don't even think this is that big of a <laughs> that, that big of a stretch, to be honest. So anyway, I think you know, I have a good friend that does this collection. He collects comic book art, baseball cards, concert posters, all this crazy shit, right? And people are insane for these things as as unique you know assets right and they're willing to suspend insane amounts of money and i think it's just only inevitable that that, that digital assets will become part of that type of ecosystem of collection particularly in the west i can't really speak to europeans if there's insane about collecting but uh, certainly u.s people are super insane about collecting so that's kind of my should, take I, I just think it should be actually paired to a service that's scaled that actually can have value right like you think of neo cats and you have a the same thing with NBA top sh top shots, whatever it is, right? If this was associated with Fortnite, right, or Roblox, and I think it gets really interesting when it's not just like the rookie card of of Curry, right? It has numbers associated with those, which have some sort of wear amount or like issued number, right? That's when you start to create these absolutely crazy collection ideas where you don't just have the rookie card of Curry, you have the first issued blockchain Curry rookie card, right? The very first issue. It's the same thing you see people going nuts for in CSGO with the wear number, right? Not only do I have the absolute top tier weapon, that cosmetic actually has a shader associated with it that has a gradient based on that digital asset number, right? And then you create these absolutely crazy collection moments, right? But, but that's there. So NFTs yeah, yeah. are unique. Yeah, exactly. But then, then you have to have some sort of visual representation. And then you associate it with a platform like Fortnite, where cosmetics and visibility is there, right? So I'm running around with that digital asset. And I think then you can start to get mass appeal and you can get to absolutely crazy um, uh, things as soon as it's it, as long as it's being kind of segregated to just these kind of odd blockchain games i think it's just tim sweeney has to add it to fortnite right like roblox has to add it to yeah, an but, already okay, scaled so, service we have to get beyond no, right, well, this that, kind of initial step um and thinking that blockchain has to be there from the beginning i okay so my i sorry i don't think you're wrong i what i'm trying to say is that these games have to be built with that in mind you can't retrofit an uh, existing game with this type of thing. Now, it sounds like Valve has tried to do that with some gradient thing with that you're talking about, but I'm saying in order to make this like a super compelling ecosystem, it has to be kind of built with the idea of scarcity and unique ownership is 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 the critical part, is, is a critical part of the game itself, right? I don't know if a cosmetic, you might be right. Maybe, maybe people are that insane where, you know, it's like a lighter shade of fucking gold means that, you know, you bought it first, right? Maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. I'm, I'm like, constantly amazed me, as the soon as you go beyond cosmetics, right? You start getting into gameplay impacting items. Then it becomes this whole live content challenge of how do you build a system that's that scalable and then give away that much value out of your damage model, right? Like that's a very, very difficult problem to solve. Cosmetics are infinitely but, solvable. And no, obviously I know, but, but, this okay, is but very small the only, the only way that that, sorry, the only way that that system works though is if you have a, a way of trading on the back end. Right, trading assets, you know, as as a marketplace, right, so that you can trade with other players, you know. So, I guess my point is like, I think it has to be new game development, and that's why these things take so long to adopt. And this was the whole point of my talk with this guy from Forte was like, look, you could do whatever you want to do and say like this blockchain is the great system, right? But if it's not implemented anywhere, it's just a, it's just a it's it's these super smart engineer types that are like you know, you know, pontificating and, and speculating. But when you actually build shit like this collectible thing for the NBA or you know these type of executions, then it becomes more real. And and later games actually I will implement it in more a full way, right? And you'll yeah. and that's what Forte wants to know. do. They I, want I to just think that we're going to be waiting around for these blockchain companies that are more focused on blockchain than they are about gameplay. And I think they have to get past that first step before we even start talking about value. 
That's a critical thing is right now, like a lot of game people don't understand blockchain well enough, right? And so, right, right, the, but right. there will be, I, I predict there will be some company that understands gaming and blockchain well enough to create a billion dollar game. Oh, but okay. I think it's going to be in the way that Eric says, you, get, you have to think about blockchain from the ground up. And integrate it into the game. It, it's just like but I would just say the game. It's just like you have let to me, build let me a just... good game first, and then bend the blockchain to work with it. Right now, no, the problem is most no, of the games that I'm playing no. is blockchain. Okay. Right, you and I bending the game towards <laughs> no. it. You and I disagree then, because I what I'm yeah, I, what I think so. I'm not articulating this well. I can say, say because what I am saying is that these type of executions that are using NFT are going to be the template by which game developers can finally fucking understand what the hell people are talking about with blockchain, right? And then they will use that and implement it as a complete system within their game. Like, imagine, like, I don't want to go too much deep into this. Diablo could do this in a heartbeat, right? Like, if they wanted to, but they'll, they'll, they would never do that, right? That's never going to happen, right? But maybe it's a company like uh, the guys who uh, that, that uh, Zynga acquired, right? They could build this game from the ground up with the idea of having scarcity and and uniqueness of the of the items. I just don't think you can retrofit, dude. I think that's the biggest challenge because it's too it's too much effort. There there are better systems to manage assets in Fortnite than blockchain, right? That's and and, and only when you actually build a whole game around the idea of NFT and and the blockchain will it make sense. Yeah, that's Ret answer. retrofitting becomes a cosmetic layer because it will impact the economy otherwise, right? Yeah. So that that's that's why it needs to be built from the ground up uh, with the economy in mind. But anyway, moving on. All right, let's bring this home. So Dream Game secures fifty million in Series A round. The now, hold on, Mobile's hold on. Before we before we continue, I just want to make sure, Mr. Katkoff, mm -hmm. are you a shareholder in Dream Games? Uh, I wish. Okay. Just we share on. an I, 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 We have to have disclosures now because I have no idea All what right. is like. Right. We share an investor. Oh, for Christ. See, I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> it's, it's always suspect. All right. Now I have to question you every time. There has to All be right. disclosure right. at Go every ahead. moment. You're anyway, bringing an article. Anyway, anyway, the Turkish mobile startup Dream Games has raised 50 million in funding despite having only launched its first game today. And I don't know if the game's launched globally, because when I looked at the sensor tower data, it mainly showed Canada and UK and Ireland. So I don't think it's fully globally launched. Anyway, the Series A round was led by Index Ventures, a high-profile VC firm known for investing in some of the biggest companies in the game industry, like King, Roblox, and Supercell. Previously, Dream Games raised a 7.5 million seed round led by Makers Fund, who also followed in this round. So... Here's my summary of this. Top of the food chain investors. I mean, Index, holy shit. And Makers is no slouch either. You got the founding team of XPeak, just like with Bigger, that also got investment from Index Ventures. And they are going after the puzzle market. That's the biggest genre on mobile in the West. 3.7 billion in revenues, in net revenues in the West at 24% year over year growth. And when you look at the market shares in the puzzle, from 2018 till 2021, it's interesting. You know, as we've talked, King has gone down. Well, King has actually been stable as the market has grown around it. So before they had over 50% of the revenue, currently have 30 and probably end of the year 25 and so forth, because they're not really launching these newest games that are able to grow. Then we got Playrex growing like, like a, a banshee. I mean, from 25% to nearly 40% of all the revenues. They've been excellent at scaling, but it has been a moment since they launched a game that was able to scale. Wildscapes was their latest one. And since then they have heavily relied on all kinds of trends of UAs, like from, from um, advertising to misleading ads, to fake playables, to, to playables that are added into the core game. So they have definitely been innovating as well on the marketability side. Then we got AppLovin. Their portfolio companies like Magic Tavern, Pivo Fund, Belka, Redemption Games, AppLovin has gone from 3 million in net revenues a month to 30 million in net revenues a month in two years and with their puzzle games. Zynga is keeping it pretty steady with their peak and couple of, and, and the uh, the other, was it, uh, it wasn't Willy Wonka, it was the uh, the Harry Potter game. And then you have the uh, the rest of the, of the pack, the Jam Cities, the Rovios, the Tactiles, the Aristocrats or Plarium. Uh, they're kind of sharing the rest, and then there's a lot of smaller companies. So 
if you look at the market, it's highly competitive because the biggest competitors are gigantic. Uh, but I think this this investment, both into Dream Games, that is now 57 million raised, uh, bigger games that raised 6 million recently, they're all ex-Peak guys that have started their companies. And Peak is known for small teams. And what we're seeing most likely is, is folks from Peak will be maybe leaving to some of these newer startups because there's more upside. Uh, and overall, the gaming startup scene in Istanbul is booming like like nowhere else. So I th- my prediction is that that well, I have my prediction is that the uh, the the puzzle royale or yeah, that's the that's the name of the game from from Dream Games that will do really well. And we have actually uh, sorry sorry Royale Match is the game from Dream Games and that will do really well. And we actually have a deconstruction of that coming next week. But I think the, uh, the the other prediction that I have here is is this will will have an effect on Peak. I think some of the people from Peak will be leaving and joining these these newer startups that are growing, making puzzle games, and that again will will be detrimental to Peak's future. I don't think Peak will decline, but I think it won't be shipping these massive games either, since the uh, the top talent is leaving to either start up their own companies or joining these rockets. Huh. I guess my only comment here is uh, the game looks really good so far. I guess it, it's like seems like a limited beta in different territories. Mm-hmm. U.S. is like Google, like that special Google deal where you get like a certain amount of installs. Um, yeah. So the game, the metrics look good. Now, the real issue that I could see with this is IDFA potentially limiting their ability to scale this game in any meaningful way. Now, 50 million is a lot of money. But it's actually not a whole lot of money for how much these lunatics spent. Not lunatics. I shouldn't say that because they're not lunatics. They're amazing. How how much these guys spend, like playrics and stuff, etc. Um, but uh, it'll be interesting to see if they can scale these games the way that we've seen from Peak and Playrix and others um, and App Loving, etc. It is a very competitive market, but as you said, it's absolutely massive and. The king going from fifty to thirty percent share is kind of an indication of of how they've fallen off in terms of uh, of interest from from that audience, but uh, but yeah, they, they seem like a great team that's going to make great products. Uh, let's see if the market can take another uh, uh, puzzle game. But there is an insatiable desire for puzzle games these days, so yeah, we'll see. Mm-hmm.